Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Welcome, all you wiretappers out there. We're here in the uh, studio of Gangland Wire. I'm on the Skype with my good friend, mob historian and co-host today, Camulus Robinson. Cam, welcome. Hey, Gary. Glad to be here as usual. Yeah. Well, don't don't forget, folks. Uh, hit me up on the Venmo app, or go to my website and make a little donation. We like to uh, keep Blueberry, the name of the podcast host, paid, and maybe buy a new microphone one of these days. I got the same old microphone I've had for quite a while, and I know Cam just bought a new microphone for his, so we could we could buy him another microphone <laughs> too. So anyhow, uh, we're going to take a look at the Montreal family. Cam's done a bunch of research for me on this. You know, I just got done with that mob film festival and had my uh, my new mob movie, uh, Brothers Against Brothers, the Savella Spiro War, which you can see on, you can buy it off my website or you can see it on Amazon Prime. Well, folks, uh, Cam's been really helpful because I've been tied up with this mob film fest and finishing off my movie, Brothers Against Brothers. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll get right on with the Rizzuto crime family in Montreal. I've had several inquiries from Canadian fans about doing something about Montreal and, and that area up there. And, and I keep seeing people post stuff on Facebook. There's a lot of organized crime going on up there in Montreal. A lot of killing going on the, Man. Last, the last few years. You know, we, we haven't had a mob murder in Kansas City since... Uh, I don't know, 1992, 93 or something like that was the last one we had. Uh, I don't know how many they've had in the, recently. So, Cam, let's uh, let's talk about that. Of course, they, uh, I'm sure they started like most of them coming over at the turn of the century and a lot of Italians immigrating, had some black hand and moved on into the more modern times. Uh, I, I see you wrote that down here some guy named Vic Controni, Vincenzo Vic Controni, and he was from Calabria. Yeah, that's you know that's what's interesting about uh, about Canada and and continues even today is the the Calabrian mafia, which is the Ndrangheta, continues to be the the defining force, with the exception of, of when the Rizzutos were in control and they were Sicilians. But the Ndrangheta, and y'all can jump on me for my pronunciation. Well, that's but pretty they, good. That's better than I can do. <laughs> <laughs> they seem to be the the major force up there, Calabrians, and and you know my my uh, my great 
great grandfather was was uh, Italian, he'd say, you know, uh, Kalebian, uh, and he'd spit on the ground. So there's a lot of a lot of infighting between Italians. Yeah, I was just I was just doing a little research on another story about the Gotti, about the Gambino family, and and Gambino, Carlos Gambino, and then Paul Castellano continued this. He had this connection with some people from who from. Uh, uh, Sicily, and they were Sicilian mafia guys. They came over. You've heard of the pizza connection and all that. And they they came over to the United States and really set up a, a whole heroin distribution organization. And Castellano got a big piece of that. But when Gotti took over, his family was from Naples. They were Neapolitan. Mm-hmm. And he looked down on the Sicilians. So you know, it's, yeah. it's like the, the Sicilians and the Calabrians and uh, what's the other? The, other? Uh, Sicilians, Calabrians, and the Napolitanos. Naples. Yeah, and, uh, Naples. Naples. That's the Camorra. Well, they all Napolitans. You know, they, they look down on each other. So mm-hmm. uh, interesting, interesting. So yeah. tell me, tell the folks a little bit so, more, and tell me too, because you can educate me about this uh, Vic Catroni and, and what he had going on. Catroni came over, and he was he had some heroin coming in, but he was when Carmine Galante went up to uh, Carmine Galante went up to Montreal. In the early 50s, he started working with Catroni, who was a local uh, crime guy. They started importing heroin through from Sicily, and it would come down the uh, St. Lawrence River. That was 90% of North American heroin was funneling through Montreal and then down into New York in, in the 50s. And it, it continued a huge amount of heroin would come through Montreal, but they would, they would get it down the St. Lawrence River and... Uh, Catroni was in control of things right now. He had a, a large crew, and I don't know that it was quite up to a family, but he, as soon as Galante moved in, they set up a street tax, and that really allowed Catroni to, to consolidate his organization and to really take over. So it was uh, Catroni who was Calabrian, and he had his brother involved in it, and uh, he had his, his capo, who was another Calabrian, but he also had a Sicilian faction, that uh, was led by a couple young Sicilians, including uh, a young guy who would go on to be a, a, a major factor named uh, Niccolo Rizzuto. So the Sicilian factor of this majority Calabrian uh, Ndrangheta group was Niccolo Rizzuto. And through the 50s, 60s, and 70s, the, uh, this Catroni organization worked really steady with the Bonanos, um, We'll say Galante was kicked out in 1956, and then guys like uh, Rusty R- Philip Rostelli and uh, Frank Mari. These guys were up and were back and forth between Canada, and and the Lucchese's had a presence up there also. So with the backing of the American Mafia, the Catroni organization really flourished and 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 consolidated the majority of of uh, the territory up in up in Montreal. That worked real well because they, yeah. they had the market. They, they had the consumers. And in Montreal, there, there's going to be a few consumers up there in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Not, like, not like there is in the northeast right. part of the United States. And, right. You know, Chicago that, and, right. and New Jersey and, and all around that northeast. Huge population center. A lot of, lot of consumers there. So it, it was, a, you know, it was like a, a match made in heaven, if you will, for uh, that kind of a thing. Because I understand that these uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Montreal families, and it kind of came on through. Rizzuto took it over, 
But they had these Montreal docks wired. They had control of the docks and probably through the unions. And and, and, and I, there's a lot of corruption up there and seemed like in, in police. I was, the Canadians are so nice, you wouldn't really think about them. As, <laughs> but apparently they've got it sewn up. Uh, up there, you always think of Canada's been squeaking clean. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, you see, though, in the in the mid to, mid sixties, that's when the Bonanos start having their problems and and their internal wars. And Joe Bonanno does his nonsense, and they have the the banana wars, and that runs up. and And Carmine Galante is is imprisoned in sixty uh, two, uh, and then you've got some some problems there. So I think that that sort of broke up some some broke up some of the cooperation. There was still plenty of heroin and there's going to be plenty of buyers, but I think that that, that uh, uh, 10 years of, of discord within the Bonanos, and then that would be followed up by Donnie Brasco, but so things began to get a little unstable in Montreal. Catroni was sent to prison in 1974, but throughout this whole time, the Sicilians, led by Rizzuto, were getting a little bit, they, they were kind of growing in power and they were they were sort of they were, they were not appreciating the leadership. This guy, Paolo Violi, who was the, the uh, underboss, took over after Catroni went to prison. Rizzuto did not, uh, Rizzuto thought he was a weak leader and started, started shooting. So uh, this Paolo Violi and his brother, uh, Francesco Violi, who was a consigliere, they both end up murdered. Uh, Rizzuto uh, Starts. They start killing. They start wiping out the entire Catroni organization. And Rizzuto has more and more Sicilians are coming over. Uh, Rizzuto starts making connections in Venezuela with uh, the with different uh, cocaine organizations. Uh, and this guy Paolo Violi was was assassinated. Who he was the the boss. Uh, Rizzuto was in Venezuela at the time, so he's had. I didn't have anything to do with it. I was not. Uh, I wasn't even in the country. So he was. He was smart enough to be the, his main enemy. He was out of the country when he was killed, and after the death of Violi, the entire Catroni organization ba basically became dormant for the most part, and the Rizzutos took over under uh, Patriarch Nicolo Rizzuto. Interesting. That's kind of where the. Uh, that's where the bad blood. Series start is yeah, kind of right, started exactly. with the uh, Rizzuto's. That's where you see Vito Rizzuto really sort of make the rise, uh, because the Bonanos had just had their were, were it was right before the Donnie Brasco incident, and and this is where a lot of your your listeners and 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 what you were touched on. This was when Vito Rizzuto, as, as part of solidifying those ties with the Bonanos, came down to New York and took part in the infamous Three Capos murder. That's a really interesting story. We'll, uh, we'll do a second episode and really e examine that one uh, deeply because that's, that's a really interesting story, and that's a pretty good picture. There's a picture. I've seen it out there with uh, how, how they made Vito Rizzuto down here uh, uh, the day of the hit. The FBI had a surveillance photo of him with uh, uh, Joe Messino and, uh, and some other people. That were All those involved. are Canadians in that picture except for Joe Messina. Uh, yeah. He mm -hmm. yeah. So, uh, interesting. So you've got, uh, now they've solidified uh, their ties with the Bonanos, and Bonanos weren't the only ones involved in that. They tied in the Gambinos. So now there's a direct connection with the Rizzutos to the Mafia in New York. You've got uh, the Contrera Caruna Mafia clan of Sicily, who were 
part of that uh, pizza connection. They were supplying the heroin to North America, and they figured we'll just go ahead and take over the Canadian market too. And because they were dealing directly with Sicilians, that really cemented the the, the bonds there. So you've got direct Sicilian pipeline to that to that heroin that was that was being processed in uh, Sardinia, I think, and, and coming in through France. And then you've got the Cali cartel, which the Rizzutos made contacts with in Venezuela. And the Cali cartel were much more business-oriented, for those of you who have seen the, uh, the, the Narcos. 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 Uh, you know, Nar the, the Medellin Narcos, yeah. cartel was coming up through Florida. The Cali cartel had most yeah. of uh, California, but... They also had these direct, they, they were expanding, the Cali cartel had ties to Europe, and they are also had these Rizzutos up in Canada. So the Rizzutos really diversified as far as their drug organizations and their ties to North America through uh, Vito Rizzuto and Nicola Rizzuto's contacts. They were really, really smart how they went about taking over and expanding their operations. A lot of people consider the Rizzutos as just an offshoot of the Bananos, and I think that that's really a, not a fair way to look at them as a Bonanno crew. I think they were really an international organization under themselves. Really could have, in a, in a way, cut New York out because uh, they got their own Sicilian connection coming directly into Montreal. But they, they maintained the relationship because they really yeah, needed yeah, that, the, that the market be... down there. They had to have that market. I, and, but they weren't that big of a family. I, I got a feeling they may be a little bit like Chicago and Kansas City. I would I would draw that parallel. I'm not not convinced of that. But but like Kansas City, they they totally out, we totally operate on our own here. Yeah. But if it affects something that affects anything outside of Kansas City, and especially if Chicago has any piece of the action, like the skimming from Las Vegas casinos, they run it by Chicago. I, I've heard some wiretaps where Nick Savella is talking about wanting to, to calm Lefty Rosenthal down out there because he was creating so much stir with the gaming control board. And he's had to, has this conversation with his underboss, Tuffy Lynn. He said, well, do you think... And he, he used a code name, 22, but he meant Iupa. He said, do you think Iupa would mind if I talked directly to him? And, and Tuffy said, well, he said, you know, we had that conversation. They'd had a meeting uh, a year or two before that when this got started, kind of outlining who was supposed to do what. And, and he said, we had that conversation. I, th I don't see any problem why you could, you wouldn't have to, uh, you couldn't call him directly. And, and so he ended up calling him directly, although he did call through his lawyer, Oscar Goodman, first and, and kind of like let Oscar Goodman know that he was calling him up and, and wanting to straighten him out and calm him down. So it's uh, it's interesting how these, these re protocol, mob protocol, and how that works. Yeah, and it just across the board, how they all sort of recognize it and as long as it uh, uh, serves, serves their interests. Yeah, when, when you're making money together, you, you, you want to make sure that everybody knows what you're doing. That's right. You don't want to do something without them knowing what yeah. you're doing. And, and if you got one right. bigger family that has all the markets particularly, but it's a much bigger family, then you better know where your place is, I would say. And even, and Rizzuto was smart. He was a smart dude. He knew where his place was. They weren't asking very much out of him. Just bring to keep the heroin going. They'd keep the money flowing back. That's right. You got Niccolo, the, uh, the patriarch. The old man goes to prison in 1988. 
Uh, he was arrested in Venezuela and actually did his time down down there. Uh, I, I believe that that's five years. And during this time is where Vito really comes into his own. And you see this sort of discussed in the background of of Bad Blood, where they talk about all the, the smart business moves that Vito did. Yeah. That's where he involves the Hell's Angels. For they've got the muscle and they've got the methamphetamine, and also for the the narcotics distribution in Canada. So they've got you know the the importation, manufacture, and distribution of drugs there. They've got control over these smaller Drangheta families in Hamilton, Ontario, seems to be where they all uh, consolidated. There were three uh, three competing families down there from Calabria, the Musitanos, Lupinos, and the Papalia family. And there's been a lot going on in Hamilton, Ontario recently. That could be a show unto itself, this, this mob war going on in Hamilton. Uh, but they also had the street gangs who paid protection to the Rizzutos for political connections and they distributed drugs and access to, you know, they, they had to pay the Rizzutos if they wanted to sell drugs because they had to get the product. So the Rizzutos basically owned the police, they owned the politics, and they could protect all these underground organizations, but they weren't selling the drugs themselves and they wanted a little bit of street muscle. So Hell's Angels, Dragetta families, and regular street gangs, the Rizzutos basically had all organized crime in at all levels in Montreal and, and I would imagine a good portion of Canada sewn up. Yeah, really, that's it's amazing. That, I've never seen that in Kansas City, where uh, our crime family never ever had anything to do that I knew of with street gangs mm -hmm. uh, or or with uh, uh, motorcycle gangs. The one we got, we don't have Hell's Angels here. We had a pretty good size uh, a galloping goose organization that was doing some narcotics distribution, but. Well, they didn't have anything to do with any of those guys like that. They had, there's a few like street criminals that were really good street criminals, you know, good thieves that they, they would use and, and get a piece of their action there you know, and fence their property or whatever and, and uh, maybe use them for something. But boy, from an organizational standpoint, and, that, and that's a hard one. They must have, those Hells Angels up there, they must have had a pretty good control over their guys to then, you know, uh, to, to throw in with uh, Italians like that. I, you know, when, when you control the police and the politicians and you control every, every bit of, every, every way to get somebody arrested and put away and you control the entire drug trade, I guess it's, it's more of a business decision than anything else. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you, you know. And so the, the Rizzutos are running all of Canada until 2003. So, and that's that's we can get into Hamilton another time, but that was, they had such control. So the Rizzutos in 2003 is when Joey Messino, he was the first head of a mob boss, active head, who rolled over. He became, he became a government witness. And as part of that, we know that uh, Vito Rizzuto got a call uh, from the Bonanos that said, uh, you know, Joe Messina is, is talking to the cops now. He's, uh, he's an informant. And within uh, a day or two, Vito Rizzuto immediately flew down to Cuba and stayed there for six weeks because he knew that if Joe Messino was talking, then this guy, then he would be implicated in that three capos murder. Yeah. Cause it was huge. <laughs> the now, law enforcement would, did, wanted to know who did that. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and Joe Messina or Messino could, it is Messino, isn't it? it Messino. Yeah. I've Mes seen, you know, I've seen Messino, but it's Messino. Yeah. Messino. <laughs> That's all right. Get me yeah. second. Get me second guessing myself on these yeah. vowels. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> we all been there. 
but uh, that that was huge, and and that would be one of the primary questions. And him being the boss up there would, yeah. you know, he would know. He would have to know yeah. about that. There was a, a Canadian comedian. I don't have his name on on hand, but the Royal Canadian Mounted Police contacted this guy, and they said, "Hey, you know, we, we you're staying at the same resort. Could you keep tabs on Rizzuto and his wife while while you're down there?" And so this comedian who had gotten friendly with Rizzuto was funneling information back and forth with the uh, with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the Mounties, so that they could keep an eye and know what Rizzuto was up to. And then he he came back in, let's say, Jan- January 20th is when he was arrested for, uh, it, the, the Americans wanted him arrested, but the Canadians would not, would not, uh, extradite if he was facing uh, a murder charge because you yeah. know, that, that could be the death penalty. So Canadians many, co- many would countries not. are like that. I've heard that before. If mm-hmm. they don't have the death penalty and the mm-hmm. government as a, a philosophy are against the death penalty, they won't allow somebody to be extradited to a that's country right. that has a death penalty. So that's, uh, that's not that unusual that they wouldn't do yeah. that. I, I, he came back from Cuba all on his own, didn't he? Or, I, they, I, they yeah. extradited him back. I think he decided. I'm pretty to sure give, he came back on his give own. Give himself up. Give his, yeah. Uh, yes. Know, he, did, he didn't want to stay in Cuba the rest of his life. And, no. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, I guess you just sometimes you got to take your lumps. So, uh, That's right. Yeah. Even, even when it is on a murder. He he fought it. He got a conspiracy to face murder charge and he he fought it for a year. Uh, he, he, was, he was arrested in uh, January 20th of 04. And he wasn't extradited until August 17th of 06. So he fought he fought the hell out of it. And right before he left, he told officers, you will rue the day I leave Canada and you will see what happens. Yeah, I've seen bad and, blood. <laughs> I know what yeah. happens when he leaves. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's sitting down there in an American penitentiary and things kind of whirl out of control, didn't they? Yeah, that's that, so... So you've got Vito Rizzuto in 06 going away, and then you've got uh, this this gang war starts up, and you've got Rizzuto organization, they start picking it off, but you've got a couple law enforcement actions that start taking place around the same time. This uh, Project Colise, the Canadian law enforcement action uh, with hidden cameras and microphones are planted all over. They got thousands of hours of footage on the, the Rizzuto organization. And then you've got uh, this... This uh, you've got this high-ranking Rizzuto drug trafficker. He was gunned down in his vehicle in a Rizzuto restaurant. This Federico DePescio, uh, Nick Rizzuto, who's the son of Vic Rizzuto, was was killed in December of '09. He was trying to take over, but he wasn't. He was just a lot of these mob kids are spoiled rich kids, and right. as you know, it, it's that that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but they think they're going to step in and take over the throne. And they're just not built for that. They don't have the street smarts. They're not hard enough. Yeah, just just ask John Gotti Jr. He he bailed out pretty quick too. We, we and here yeah. in Kansas City, we had three, four young guys in the Savellas that that none of them. They just couldn't do it. You know, they, right. there was no way they could do it. They they couldn't. They didn't have the guts to and wouldn't take the risk and and do what needed to be done. So uh, they never moved up. And yeah, you know, they they depicted that in the in the Bad Blood. I know. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, they did. Yeah. So you got Rizzuto, the son of Vito. You got Vito's brother-in-law, Paolo Renda, who was killed a few months later. Uh, this Augustino Contrera, who was a Sicilian partner, part of the the heroin connection, he was gunned down in front of his own business. And then the old man, Nicola Rizzuto, 
was killed in October of 2010. So you've got, in a little over a year, you've got five major leaders of this Rizzuto family, including three relatives of Vito Rizzuto who were just who were murdered straight wow. out. And then you've got this Project Colise where they, they, all these hidden cameras and microphones taking them down. And then you've got the, in 2012, what's called the Charbonneau Commission. It was a massive anti-corruption investigation through all of Quebec. So basically the, the Rizzuto organization was crippled by, they went after corruption. They went after the, the, or the law enforcement went after them. They killed the top, uh, they killed the top echelon of leaders as the whole, whole organization was, was chipped away at. I noticed you had this one name, uh, name Renard Desjardins. They say that was, uh, uh, probably the Declan character, although, you know, it wasn't quite the same, but he, he was, uh, I guess French extraction, I would say, judging from yeah. his name. And, and he kind of tried to keep things going for a while, but I, I don't think he lasted either. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, uh, he, he was, he was, he and this, uh, Montagna, they, they both, uh, they sort of tried to step in the vacuum, but it was just the Rangetta was moving in and they were really, really starting to, to step up their presence. They had always had a stronger presence uh, uh, in, in, in Canada, and you see that now. There was a recent Rangetta bust where they got $30 million worth of, worth of homes and a bunch of Ferraris and Lamborghinis, and this was just in the last couple months. Yeah. They, even today, they're, they're damned powerful, but... So little by little over between two, between from 2006 to 2012, between this gang war and these, these law enforcement and taking out corruption, Vito Rizzuto, when he got out in 2012, he was, his organization had, had collapsed. It was, it was, it was done. And he, when he got out, he got as many people together and he said, listen, the only thing I give a shit about is killing everybody. I will take 0% of your, of your operations. You can keep all your money. I'll, I will pay whatever it takes. I want everybody who went against my family dead. Wow. Yeah, I see you got some names here. A bunch of, uh, bunch of professional criminals started dropping yeah. off right after that. Yeah, within a month of his release, you got, you got three, uh, four, four big guys who were all, all executed. Two more just, just blown away. I mean, and these aren't, these aren't guys who were shot in cars or whatever. These are out in public. These are just public executions shot out in the street. It was, it was, really, it was really a big thing. One guy was this, uh, this associate of Desjardins, Gitan Gosselin. He was in his home, and a, and a sniper bullet just came through. And, and that, that seemed to be a big thing, because that's how, that's how uh, uh, Nicolo Rizzuto, that was a sniper bullet. But really, it was just, it was just a, a scorched earth. Yeah. Uh, policy when Vito got out. I mean, just just gunning people down in the street, and they didn't give a damn. So you know, they and, and really that, that sniper thing—that's really unusual. Mm-hmm. That, that is really, really unusual. That's there, yeah. there's, a lot, there's a lot of room for error when you're going to try to shoot somebody yeah. from a distance. Uh, yeah, you know, the normal would be to to get them isolated in a a, a place where nobody else could see and and put yeah. to the head. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that they they, were, they did pull out all stops on this. Plus, they couldn't get next to people because they knew he was out there, and and 
and and they were at everybody was at risk, so they weren't going to let anybody trick them into a different to a, to a safe place and and get knocked off like Jimmy Hoffa did. He let them trick him into going someplace where yeah there was no witnesses and there was no chances that he could get away. Yeah, and I guess you know Vito Rizzuto. A lot of people still came to him. There was a, a Canadian uh, billionaire, Michael DeGroot, who was having some problems in casinos down in uh, Dominican Republic with these two underworld-related brothers. I don't think they're the Carboni brothers. And he, Vito just showed up in Dominican Republic, and these these brothers end up leaving him alone. So he still had some pull, but he really he was sick. He was uh, he I, I, he just he wasn't well. Getting out in 2012, and then in December 23rd, two days before Christmas in 2013, he uh, he died of pneumonia. And really, Canadian organized crime has just—if you get the updates, if you get the the things in your Google Mail, you know, based on your Google searches, you get the updates about about organized crime. I do anyway, and and you're always getting something from Canada about this shooting or that shooting or this bust or that bust. I mean, Canada. I guess they're not as, at least their organized crime guys are not as polite as ours, I can tell you that, because they're constantly killing each <laughs> really? other and getting arrested. Canada's yeah. got it. Canada's got it locked down. They do. I, I think part of the reason is they they got so involved with the narcotics business. Yeah. And that's such so much a dirty money. business where, where our guys they never really got, for the most part, in, in most cities, they got involved with narcotics a little bit in New York, but it wasn't the big thing. They had, yeah, it wasn't their only source, yeah. Right, it wasn't their only source. It sounds like the narcotics was such a big deal, and that's always, yeah. you know, you always got so many people that, that are out of control, and, and it's just, it's, it's bad business, and there's a lot of murder that always happens around the narcotic business, whether, yeah. whether it be on a street level or all the way up to the top. It's, it's amazing. I remember one time, uh, and they don't, nobody trusts anybody in the narcotics business. There's no, absolutely no set of rules and no honor whatsoever with the mafia. And uh, even in, in Drangheta, see, I, I could really butcher that one up. The uh, Calabrians and, and the Camorra, they, they have rules. And, and and they understand that you need to follow these rules in order to make money and, and have a pecking order and, uh, you know, a disciplinary process. But just killing people indiscriminately you know you don't make any money that way and you draw so much more heat that's why there's mm-hmm. not been a mob murder in kansas city since 19 whatever 90 some because it just draws they knew it it draws too much heat and you don't see many mob yeah. murders throughout the united states new york city no. doesn't have many chicago when's the last mob murder you had in chicago huh yeah it's it's been a long damn time yeah yeah that was you know we did some of those chicago stories there were bodies were dropping like flies there back in the yeah. 70s and 80s and for no real reason that you could see other than they wouldn't pay their street tax or something like that. Yeah, it's just, that's right. But they don't do that anymore. I guess if you don't pay your street tax now, it, you know, they realize it's, it's not worth the heat. You have to figure out another yeah. way. And, and, you know, most of the guys just move on into legitimate business. I know a lot yeah. of guys, a lot of guys want to say, well, the mob is still the mob is still. But uh, I mean, in a lot of places, they just they were the mob until they they got into enough money to put into legitimate business guys like Joey Lombardo's family are all millionaires living off real estate yeah. so you know these guys these guys tended a lot of these guys tended to invest the upper echelon guys and they're just they they might they might have the titles and still but they're millionaires in legitimate business so yeah. you know they're not they're not going after too much gambling anymore or, or yeah there's no gambling but going to internet fraud like i was telling yeah. you about in that, that one case in new york city and 
cramming uh, phone bills and there's all kinds of ways to make money that you don't really have to kill anybody and it's not dirty it's it's clean <laughs> and, That's the, right. and, the, and the sentences aren't so bad I, I understand it was smart business staying out of that narcotics there is a lot of money but the sentences are draconian and you know you can you can make you can get somebody to rat out their mother when you're they're looking at 50 60 years in the penitentiary yeah. That's that's right. So it's uh, you know they I don't know that it's kind of crazy up there. It uh, it's more like the wild west, and I've read those things, and I don't know exactly what's going on today, but there's there's continually mob violence in Montreal and Ontario today. Doesn't really happen out west, but boy, back east and northeast it does. Yeah, yeah, and I you know I know that 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 Hamilton we mentioned there's there's been a lot going on right. Right now, about uh, these Musitanos and the Lupinos and that Papalia family, uh, they're really in for for such a relatively small place, uh, Hamilton. There's for having three three large organized crime groups. They're really really going at it with uh, lots of kidnappings and 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 murders and different things going on up there, and and lots of drugs. So so in the wake of of a, of a group collapsing, we we see this. In, in organizations all over, whenever you have uh, somebody who is keeping the peace or, or so, somebody who is who is an overseer, you see that vacuum of power, and and things really go really do collapse. I mean, in, in as as organized as, as crime can be, when you see a major factor disappear, there's a huge vacuum of power, and there's always chaos that follows. Yeah, and usually, if uh, a, a mafia group will have uh, kind of a uh table of organization will have a succession plan, if you will. You'll mm-hmm. have a boss and a consigliere and an underboss and some capos, and, and there's a, a way to orderly transition power so it doesn't just descend into chaos. There may be a little bit as people jockey. Yeah. A new one, if an old man, you know, if an old boss dies or if a boss gets killed for some reason, he gets, uh, throws a shoe or like Joe Bonanno did or something like that, or, you know, John Gotti killed Paul Castellano, but there was a pretty orderly transfer of power in, in all those situations but well, yeah. they don't seem to have that up there in Canada. <laughs> no. Interesting. Okay, well let's uh let's wind this down now Cam and and then let's do a second episode and uh, let's examine that murder of the three capos at Vito Rizzuto that that really caused this that Vito Rizzuto got caught up in because had he not left Canada, I got a feeling that a lot of this wouldn't have happened. He'd been able to, to keep it under control. Yeah. You, you never know. I think you're right. Okay. Uh, so if you have a friend or relative has a problem with drugs or alcohol, make your first call to First Call. Call 816-361-5900 or go to their website, www.firstcallkc.org. Don't forget, hit your Venmo app and buy me a cup of coffee or a shot and a beer. Uh, I got my new movie out, Brothers Against Brothers. The Savella Spiro War, it's on Amazon Prime, or you can rent it for $1.99, or you can buy it with the special features off my website. You get the DVD. I got my old movie. I think I forgot to mention that last couple podcasts I did. That's getting old hat now, a camp gangland wire. <laughs> uh, got it out there. And of course, if you give me a donation, $25 or more, you'll get either Brothers Against Brothers, Gangland Wire, or uh, I'll send you a. Uh, 
uh, a gift certificate for a Kindle version of my book, uh, Leaving Vegas, How FBI Wiretaps in and Mob Domination of Las Vegas Casinos. And I have the Kansas City Mob Tour app. All that serves to uh, keep this podcast going. We don't, if you notice, we don't have any advertisers, any paid advertisers. And, and I'm going to try to stay away from that as long as I can. I, I kind of don't like that. When I, I noticed two things, Cam, uh, as I've done this over the years. I used to have a really long lead-in. And I didn't really like it, but I kept it up. And then uh, I changed that, and now I have a really short lead-in. Because on my, when I listen to a podcast, I like a really short lead-in. I don't want too much music, mm-hmm. and I want to get right to the information. Get right to it. Get right yeah, to you- it. And, and ads, they, they, delete, they, they delay you getting right to the information. Now, now, I'm not saying I won't put up an ad if we, uh, if we find some really lucrative deal, but... Uh, until that comes along, uh, I'll, I'll resist ads. I did one once just to see what it, how it would work, and they only paid me fifteen dollars an episode. And you know that's not worth it. That's right. <laughs> it's just not 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 to distract anybody. Although I, I did kind of have fun. I I talked about a uh, what was it? It was a, it was a high end oil and air filters, canned in filters. So mm-hmm. I, I use my motorcycle as an example about using these high-performance filters and products like this. And so I'd, I'd come in and report to my co-host at the time, Aaron, how I'd, I'd gotten it up to 120, 125, 130. <laughs> I remember that. 135. <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of had fun with it. I, I hope people enjoyed the, the little commercial they did. I don't know if they sold any oil filters they didn't renew, but I wasn't going to renew any out $15 a crack. And I'd had my fun with it. It. So, you know, if you can't have fun with what you're doing, don't do it, I say. Do you right. agree with that, Cam? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's uh, say goodnight, Cam. I'll uh, talk to you on this next episode about the murder of the three capos. Night, y'all. Thanks, Night. Gary. Night, everybody. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.